Welcome to episode number 23 of the Four Animals for Earth podcast. Today I'm talking to Steve in Portland, Oregon. If you read the title today and you were like, okay, sustainable ethical supply chains, I'm not so sure I want to make this a priority. I want to put it in different words for you. We are going to be talking about the future of shopping. So tell me, that sounds a little more exciting, doesn't it? You know, supply chains are essentially what run our entire consumer lives. When we look at something and we want to buy something that doesn't hurt the environment, it's not tested on animals, it's not made by children, those are all questions that we're asking about its supply chain. And honestly, right now, you know, we know supply chains are pretty opaque. It's hard to know what's truly inside a product that we're buying, and it's hard to know everyone that was truly involved in making that product. So Steve is part of a startup called the Provenance Chain Network. And to give you an idea of what they're doing, I want you to close your eyes and imagine yourself going into a department store and you see a bunch of different products on the shelf. And as you look at those products, you can see exactly where each product came from. You can see exactly what each product was made with. You can see who made it. You can see if the product was carbon neutral and you can see a myriad of other pieces of information about exactly what that product's provenance is. And then that can inform your decision. You can choose to purchase based on what's important to you. And you will have an app on your phone that you can program to be aligned with your most important values. So those purchases can happen really quickly. You can basically hold your phone up and say, okay, that one, that one, that one, those align with my values. And I know that this purchase is doing something good in the world. So gosh, you guys, I am just so excited today that Steve agreed to come on the show and to paint this vision for us of the future. And it's not only a vision, it's a reality. They are working on it now. They just got their first paying customer. I mean, it is happening. And it's so cool that we get to hear about it here in its infant stages. I can just picture any one of us in 20 years, being in the store, looking at a product and saying, oh my gosh, I remember that day that I heard that conversation where Brandy was talking to Steve and they were talking about this and I can't believe I'm actually seeing it here in my life right now. I mean, how cool is that? So for today's show notes, um, they're going to include the video of our interview. They'll include links to everything that Steve is talking about. They'll include a write-up of our discussion. You can find those at fouranimalsforearth.com slash podcast slash 23. Hi there, this is Brandy, and you're listening to the Four Animals for Earth podcast. This is a space where we inspire each other to take small steps every day to live a more conscious life, helping animals and the planet while we do it. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's all take a deep breath and let's get started. You're a futurist, which I think is quite possibly the coolest job title anyone could ever have. <laughs> um, tell us quickly, what is a futurist? What do you do? So um, a futurist is somebody that looks at trends, how they'll come together over time, and then t basically tells stories of what will be possible in a certain time frame. So I'm not making predictions. That's a fortune teller. 
Uh, I don't sit in a darkened room and smoke peyote and come up with brilliant thoughts. It's a discipline um, where you're looking at trends and that's people trends. What will people want in the future? How will they live their lives in the future? Technology trends. What will technology make possible in a certain time frame? How will the technology we have today develop and, and get new capabilities? And then business trends. Um, what, what are the ways that people will sell products in the future? What are the ways that people will monetize new revenue streams, that sort of thing? Put all of those together and then model what will be possible five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Mm. And it's really fun and exciting to follow what you share because you really do spend a lot of time helping us all pull together a vision of what the future will be. And I think realistically with where the world is today, I think um, I sometimes find myself a little bit um, turned off or almost like overwhelmed by the amount of technology around us. And sometimes I want to just be like, oh, just take it away, like get me back out on the farm. And um, I think there's a lot of value to that. But I also think that the reality of the world we live in is a very technology-filled world, and it's only going to become more of that. And so I think, you know, what I enjoy about listening to you is that you spend your time helping all of us embrace that fact and figure out how we can fit into that and thrive in our lives with technology continuing to become an even bigger part of it. Um, would you say that, that that sounds like you as well? Yeah. I mean, people are generally afraid of things they don't understand. And for most people, technology is this weird, opaque world uh, of potential threats. And that's exacerbated by fantastic movies coming from Hollywood. You know, I, I love The Terminator and The Matrix as much as anybody. And yet we have to recognize that's not reality. And that can imprint on us and make us very scared about AI or robots who are going to crush our skulls and stomp on us. You know, th that's Hollywood. We have to separate the two. My view is technology is very powerful. It can be used for powerful good and, yes, for powerful bad. We have, as a society, to decide how we want to deploy technology, where it's going to show up in our lives. And as individuals and our families, you know, where, where do we bring technology into our lives and where do we keep it out? Um, in the grand scheme of things, if you look at, you know, since the Industrial Revolution, which is really where technology went crazy and took off. Um, you know, we had fire and wheels and stuff like that before then, but industrial revolution really things took off. As we move people from working the land to offices and factories, over that time period of about 250, 300 years, the average lifespan has doubled. The quality of life, wealth creation, has all, all of these metrics have gone up. We still have a lot of work to do. You know, a million people, uh, sorry, a billion people uh, we'll go to, to bed hungry tonight. That's not good enough. We need to, to fix stuff like that. And we need to use technology to help everybody. But generally, technology has done a good thing. If you're afraid of AI, I'll leave you with, with this one thought. It's likely that somebody listening to this right now, um, either they or somebody they really love, so maybe a family member or a very close friend, will have their life saved in the future using a drug that was co-developed in partnership between humans and an AI. So AI, while we are all a little bit scared of it because Hollywood did a number on us, 
um, it is it can be a very positive force and it will improve the quality of our lives immeasurably in the future. Mm. I love thinking about it in that way and thinking of um, it feels like, you know, you mentioned the 1 billion children and, and um, you know, I am kind of like in animal welfare all the time. And you, you look at all the problems that exist in the world and sometimes it feels like there's nothing we can do. It's just headed in this like path. And what you're describing really empowers all of us to say, hey, I can be a part of leveraging technology in a way that it really can make the world a better place for people and for animals and, um, and, 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 and the environment, which is what we're going to spend most of our time talking about today. I mean, all those things, actually, <laughs> the environment feeds into those other things. But um, you're really using it for a force of good with Provenance Chain Network, which is your, I don't, I don't know if it's your newest project, but a newer project for you. And um, with that, you're really looking at harnessing the good of technology to vastly change the world. And um, I wonder, let's let's start with, can you tell us what Provenance Chain Network is and what your vision is for it? Let's go there first. Yeah, so as well as being a futurist for hire, I do speaking and consulting. Uh, I am also a co-founder of a startup called the Provenance Chain Network, theprovenancechain.com if you're interested to look it up. And the goal of that is to bring transparency to commerce, which sounds you know, a little bit esoteric, um, a little bit abstracted, but what it means is making it easy for us all to know where the things we buy came from and what it took to make them. So if you think about the, the big issues that I think people listening to your podcast would care about, mm -hmm. things like environmental damage, mm -hmm. pollution, climate change, um, deforestation, mm -hmm. um, you know, destruction of animal habitats, um, mm -hmm. child labor and forced labor. Mm -hmm. What are the things that link all of those together? It's very simple. Us, all of us and our behaviors and the things that we buy. Now, I can't blame all of us because the supply chains that deliver the products to, into our lives are somewhat opaque. Very often, you don't know the implications of the thing that you just bought. You, you can't tell, was that made with tiny little hands? Was it made um, after you know, from land that was cleared and destroying rainforest? It's very hard to understand and link back to the impact that the products that you have, uh, that you buy have. So the goal of the Providence Chain Network is to build a mechanism so that consumers can start to see back down the supply chain or back up the supply chain is the way it's uh, the term of art they use in the industry to so look up the supply chain and start to be able to buy your values. So the, the vision that we have is that you will have an application on your phone, ultimately maybe something that even just goes into your glasses. So when you pick up a product and look at it, it will be able to tell you, is this consistent with my values? So those values could be simple things, simple requirements that you have, like I don't want products that have peanuts in them because my kids are allergic, or I don't want um, things with gluten in them because I have a problem digesting them. It could be simple stuff like that. Yeah. It could be um, I don't want things from brands that aren't carbon neutral. I don't want products that you can't guarantee to me and prove 
that um, they weren't made with child or forced labor. So you can start to imprint your values and it, it, we want to provide people a tool to help them um, make those decisions and make more informed decisions so they can live their values and essentially vote with their wallets. Mm. It sounds like a dream come true. You know, I mean, I, I, um, I try to shop in a lot of those ways right now. And I know that a lot of listeners do as well. And, um, it's not, it's not so easy. You spend hours and hours. Yeah. Researching, researching brands that are transparent and tell you their supply chain, but even with them, they don't always know. Even brands that are trying really, really hard, they still don't know exactly where something was grown or who exactly processed it in the beginning, you know, but take a piece of clothing before it became a thread or how exactly in the factory did it become a thread and what impact did that have? Yeah. Um, and that's, that's just clothing. And then, like you said, food and, and um, electronics. I mean, it's just every product. And I say it sounds like, a dream come true because um, I remember the days where I used to go into a store or I went into the mall and I went shopping and I just picked what I wanted based on what I liked. And I haven't done that for a really long time because I'm so concerned with the background on the piece that um, I end up, like I said, searching online and it's, it's, it's a difficult process. And I just, it makes me feel excited to think in, I don't know, 15, 20 years, uh, maybe sooner, maybe later that I would um, have that ability to just look at all these products in front of me and say, okay, where'd you come from? Where'd you come from? And inevitably, it's going to transform everything, right? And every single product will inevitably become ethically and sustainably sourced because when you're creating a tool like this and you're allowing people to have that knowledge to make their decisions, it's going to change accountability in the way products are made. Um, and I think that's a lot of the vision that you have, right? So yeah. What um, I know there are things built into this that incentivize businesses to get on board and to sign up and become a part of it. I wonder if you can talk about that a bit. Sure. So in addition to, to giving visibility to consumers, as you hinted just a moment ago, it's not supply chains for brands can be opaque. Most brands don't make their own products. They outsource them to manufacturers and they can have supply chains that are five or six layers deep. And so you're going through, you know, multiple suppliers and brokers all the way back to where did the cotton come from? Where was it grown mm -hmm. to make the fabric that went into the shoe that went onto the shelf mm -hmm. and into my home for me to run with? Mm -hmm. um, you know, being able to think through all of those stages, you have to reveal that information, not just to consumers, but to brands, because brands are making promises to consumers and they want to be able to stand behind and keep those promises. Mm -hmm. But supply chains today are remarkably old school. Some of them are still running on paper and handshakes. Mm -hmm. And so there's no you know, true digital um, sort of trail of information. Mm -hmm. That's what we're trying to create with the provenance chain is a way of providing evidence of claims. So today the whole system is, is run based on claims. You know, I claim that there were no children in my factory. Mm -hmm. I claim that there are no peanuts mm -hmm. and 
you know, there might be inspectors that come and help with that and there's documentation you can provide. Mm -hmm. But we want to build a system of evidence that allows a facility to say, here's the proof. And there's different levels of evidence. There's I claim is the, is the simplest level of evidence. There's here's some documentation that I'm providing that, that attests that I'm, uh, I am doing things right. Um, here is a certification that shows an external auditor came in and checked that what I said was true is true, all the way up to real-time data. So using sensors to be able to get eyes on a facility um, and maybe it's a smart camera that's watching a production line to see what's going on. Um, maybe it's the badge in information uh, to validate that people walking into facility are all of the certain age. So being able to get real-time data so it's not just documentation. So there's an evidence levels. Mm -hmm. But you also want a mechanism to make people provide their evidence, or not to make them, but to incentivize them to provide their evidence. Mm -hmm. So we also have on the other side um, an incentive engine that provides small incentives so that a brand can say, hey, Mr. Supplier, I want you to provide these levels of documentary evidence to me to prove that you're doing the right thing. And in return for that, if you provide this evidence, then I'll give you a little something. And there's a mechanism to, to make that happen. In addition to that, you can use incentives to start to improve the quality of what people deliver. So you might incentivize people for delivering stuff on time. You might, um, I mean, this happens a lot. You order 500 things and 498 turn up mm -hmm. or 502. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's just the supply chains are so um, flaky. So being able to incentivize people for actually delivering against what they promise, the quality that they delivered, but maybe also to um, improve the way that they do things. So maybe you would put an incentive that says, hey, if you can prove to me that you have a fair gender pay policy and you're meeting mm -hmm. your stated diversity goals, I'll give you a little, little, little something. Um, if you can prove to me that um, you are offsetting all of your energy uh, and that you're carbon neutral, I'll give you a little something. So you have this mechanism to start to ratchet up the requirements that you have on your suppliers. And the same thing is true of consumers. Consumers are going to buy things that meet, match their values. Mm -hmm. And with this incentive capability, brands can then project those values down up through the supply chain to their suppliers. It is an alignment mechanism. So it's a very powerful tool that brands can use to assure compliance so that they can keep their promises. And if you're a brand manager, you know, one of the things that makes you not sleep well at night is worrying mm. that one of your suppliers is not going to do what they said they would do, mm. that that product is going to get through to a consumer and either make them sick or it's going to cause a safety issue or just be revealed as mm. not being what they say. Now, for example, you know, um, some big food company was caught. They were making claims that uh, a juice they were selling was non-GMO. And it was found out that, guess what? There was GMO fruit in that juice. And they got taken to court. That is not something you want as a brand manager. <laughs> so this is a mechanism so that everybody in the supply chain um, can be fair and honest and open and it's turning a system based on claims into one based on evidence. Everybody knows what's happening.
it lifts kind of a veil of um, fear that I feel like most of us have had through history. So I was picturing, I run a factory and I'm gonna put sensors up and I'm gonna put cameras up that are watching everything. And I could imagine my initial reaction being like, I don't know, I'm scared of that. But what's interesting about that and about everyone in the supply chain opening up is that the vulnerability probably allows you to actually find a better future state because then everybody is opening up, being vulnerable, telling the truth, and there's nothing to hide anymore. Because I think I think often about um, some of these things that happen, you know, like um, per perhaps GMO seeds getting into a product, you know, there's, there's so many people involved and it may not necessarily be something that anyone is doing on purpose, but then they realize they did it. And then there's like fear of hiding and covering it up. And I, I think historically, at least it feels like industry has kind of been like that. It's been about a lot of secrets and um, maybe you're not doing anything wrong, but it's secrets to protect yourself. And I'm picturing this world of just the veil being lifted, people opening up and being vulnerable. And when everybody has the same goal, which is we ultimately want to make things ethically, we want to make them sustainably from the very first supplier or grower all the way to the person selling it in their shop, you know, the consumer actually, everyone wants that same thing. And I really do feel maybe not most people in the world, but I do feel at some point, most people in the world are going to want that same thing, that, that everything is ethical and sustainable. And so what you're describing maybe has a level of vulnerability to it. I'm not sure, but it really allows us all to move forward together. Yeah. I mean, if you are um, a supplier to a brand, you have a decision to make, you know, because maybe there was some benefit, some business benefit for you in gaming the system. Um, and now you're being asked to put in mechanisms to stop you doing that, but you're going to get some rewards for doing that. So let's say, for example, you're a manufacturing facility of a manufacturing line and you're making purses um, and they're expensive purses. So Louis Vuitton or something like that. And the purses are coming off the production line. Now, one of the issues that can happen in the manufacturing industry is this thing called diversion. And diversion is where you're a legitimate manufacturer of a product and you get an order from Louis Vuitton, let's say, to make a thousand purses. And so you, you run a thousand purses and then you make another hundred more and you sell the thousand to Louis Vuitton and then the hundred you dump onto the gray market and you sell and you make the profit on this. So instead of the brand who's developed, you know, they put all the effort into marketing, creating the product, they should get that margin. Now their manufacturers are starting to make a little on the side. So you have to make it worthwhile for that manufacturer to stop doing that and to put in the, the eyes in the sky that can do that. So you need to incentivize them somehow. And that's why that incentive mechanism is so important in the provenance chain, because now you're going to give them money for every time they submit video of, of their production line, they're going to make money. They're going to get a little something for that. And you want to set the, the incentives so that it's really not worth making a little bit on the side once in a while. The business model shifts. So that supplier is now incented to provide the data to prove 
that they're doing the right thing. And so that's really what it's all about is shifting the incentives in the entire supply chain so that everybody is incented to do the right thing, where the right thing is not determined by the Providence Chain Network or anybody else. It's determined ultimately by consumers. Mm. Yeah, because, you know, even within that, there has to be some level of change that will happen inherently because consumers are putting their money into the brands that choose to do this. Um, you know, we all talk about this all the time, vote with your wallet, vote with your wallet, you know, and, and I think we all try to do it the best we can. Yeah. Um, but you can really picture how this would accelerate that because if we have the information we need to vote with our wallet the way we want to, that in and of itself too, I would think is at least going to cause some level of change within and then you top top that with the incentives and it, it really sounds like yeah like it's a a formula that yeah. will move us well i mean you have to recognize as well that brands are not bad right they're trying to do the right thing they're trying to serve their customers the best that they can but when it's very hard to tell a story about how you went the extra mile to make sure that your product is ethically sourced sustainable all of those things because you've got a tiny label um, to, to try and tell that whole story and maybe a bit of advertising. Um, it's very hard to differentiate yourself from your competition. And so you end up, you know, the consumers judging you based on quality, price, and the strength of your marketing. You know, this opens up the space to be able to have a broader conversation so that the consumer can start to have all that information exposed to them. So this almost empowers a brand manager to, to make the, the right decisions that they've always wanted to make, but felt that they couldn't because consumers were just buying on price and quality. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I think that um, maybe not forever historically, but at least for the past 30 years or so, um, that quality and price, I mean, I don't know how many classes I went through where it would talk about design your product, quality, are you delivering on quality? Or are you delivering on price? It was like always those two things. And yeah. those are what, those are the um, mechanisms that get people to buy. So which one are you on? And I've been through so many classes, you know, teaching me that. And it's interesting because there's this whole other realm that's becoming bigger and bigger, which is, well, like it's kind of quality, but it's like, hey, quality opens up into a big can of worms that is actually right. a whole bunch of different things that um, make something what you really want to invest in or not. Yeah, it sort of, it adds more dimensions to quality, right? Is it sustainable? Is it ethical, for example? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. Um, your background, let's let's hit on this just a little bit because um, I just want to know a little bit more about your story. So what brought you to starting this Providence Chain Network? And what, um, I mean, there's obviously like the, the reasons we're talking about now, but I'm just curious in you, um, what brought you from your past into starting this and, and yeah. why? So I worked at Intel for 30 years. So I'm, you know, when I started, I had a good head of hair. Uh, I started as an engineer, so I understand technology pretty well. Um, and I worked in a tech company for 30 years. So I'm pretty good at understanding of technology. I spent a lot of my time at Intel on the um, strategic, strategic planning side. So thinking about the world five, 10 years out. And I concluded my career at Intel 
as one of Intel's two futurists. So I worked in Intel's labs, and my job was to help model the future 10 years out uh, and figure out what will people be doing with computers 10 years from now so that Intel could design their chips the right way. So that's my background. Uh, I left Intel in 2016 because I wanted to um, really expand my role as a futurist and help other companies. You know, I was helping Intel. I wanted to help every company that was interested in my services to help them imagine what the world could be and how they could participate in that. So there are different types of futurists. Um, some of them are a bit woolly and um, foo-foo-la-la, and one's telling you, you know, well, you need to run out of water. Okay, tell me something useful. Um, so I'm an applied futurist. So my job is to help companies to apply the insights that I bring onto their business and make a business plan. How, how are we going to change our products and services? How are we going to change the way we go to market? Um, how are we going to support our employees differently and elevate their skills? All that sort of stuff. As I was doing that work, um, I was talking with a friend of mine, Jeff Gauss, and uh, he and I were having a whiskey one afternoon in the sunshine in Portland during one of those sunnier months. <laughs> and we were talking about blockchain technology. And uh, he and I had been talking about blockchain for a number of years. And he had actually started uh, the Oregon um, venture blockchain startup um, group that was helping companies to embrace blockchain technology to solve real business problems uh, here in the state of Oregon. And we were just shooting back and forth and talking about supply chains. And that's where this idea was born. Uh, I didn't think too much of it because I have lots of conversations like that with lots of people. Um, and, you know, I was drinking whiskey, so you soon forget what you talked about. <laughs> but Jeff ran with it and he decided he wanted to, to build this startup. And so I jumped in with both feet because I have cared about environmental issues um, for as long as I can remember, and I'm old now. Um, you know, I have books on the shelves behind me here about climate change that were written in the early 2000s. I've been, I've been on this for a while, and I've been thinking about this issue for a while. How can we help? What could we do to make a difference? This huge intractable problem, or seemingly intractable problem. Um, you know, as consumers, we can feel like such a small cog in the giant machine of the world that the decisions that we make don't really matter. If I recycle, does it really matter? Is it just going to make me feel better? Um, well, yeah, it does all matter because it all adds up. So when, when Jeff and I were developing this idea and then Jeff ran with it and I saw the potential of it, uh, and he's brought on some amazing talent into this group, people from Procter & Gamble, um, people with deep supply chain experience for 25, 30 years, uh, people with blockchain governance knowledge, people who you know, have experience building tech startups. Um, you know, it's an amazing team. And as we started to kick this idea around between us, I got even more excited about it because I saw the possibilities, not just as a tool for consumers to change the world, and to play an active role in that, but to streamline our supply chains and empower everybody along the supply chain, making it you know, easier for brands, easier for their manufacturers, easier for people through the supply chain because they get much clearer directions on what people want. Um, so the idea just sort of came to life and we got our first customer um, who's actually paying, you know, we've got people signing up saying, yep, we wanna do it. We got the first check cut uh, yesterday. So it's this fresh and new, um, but we have a lot of interest from a lot of very big brands. And I am extremely optimistic that we can actually go and change the world with this thing.
I'm so excited to see where it goes. You know, here we sit at the end of 2020, and I just can't wait to look back in a couple of years and be like, oh, remember this fun interview? And look where we are now. It's just really exciting. Um, I think an element of it too that we haven't talked, but that really excites me is I feel like this really kind of penetrates through the entire world. Like this isn't a United States thing or, you know, it, it really can improve lives in every part of the world because the supply chains really do impact every part of the world. So um, it really is exciting to, to think where it's going to be, um, in the next few years. And then, and then, you know, many years from now. Yeah. We're, ima we're imagining this will, and we're going to start in the United States just because that's where we are. And that's where we feel the brands are the most sophisticated. Um, it'll be Europe next, but of course, supply chains are already global. They're already very interconnected. So when we start on something here in the United States, it's quickly going to spread its tendrils into Asia and beyond. And we're looking at everything from you know, apparel and footwear through food, um, ultimately. And when we're looking at satellite parts and rocket parts, if you're an astronaut and you're going up in, an, in a rocket, you want to know that the you know, 300,000 parts that make up that rocket ship you want to know that they came from good sources and not counterfeit, which happens a lot, it turns out. Um, so looking at all of these different industries, pharmaceuticals, medical devices, electronics, um, all of them need rigor applied to supply chain, and it needs to happen, to your point, globally. Um, something that we do on here all the time is try to talk about simple ideas that any of us can do in our lives right now to yeah. make a difference. And um, it's not always that there's something we can do that immediately has like a big impact, but there's things that we can do that, that build up into more. And I'm curious if you could leave us with one idea from you, or if you want to share more than one, you can, of something that any of us could do today to start to make a difference. Um. I think in order to make a difference, we have to be able to participate at a new level, which means we have to become more informed. So uh, there's a couple of ways I would, I would advocate for becoming more informed. Um, the first is we're going to use technology to solve some big problems in the world. And adoption of those technologies is predicated on people's willingness to try them out. And willingness is related to fear. Fear is related to knowledge. So the more you know about technology, the less fearful you'll be of it because you'll realize, oh, this is actually pretty cool. So generally, I ask people, hey, spend a little time just getting to learn a little something about these powerful technologies that are coming. You may have heard of AI or blockchain or augmented reality or 5G or satellite networks or robots. You don't have to learn how they all work, the bits and bytes and the ones and zeros of how to program them or design them. You don't need that. But learn what they can do in the world, how you can solve problems with them. Because I think if we all own a little bit of that, then we're going to be much more open to using them in our lives and to solve some really big problems. So that would be the first one. And that's, see, there's a book behind me. 
opportunity to plug my book. Fantastic. Yeah, I was just going to say this is the perfect um, time to talk about your book because it really simply shares at least six of these um, these technologies that you're talking about. Yeah, I hadn't planned to pimp my book, but it, the, your question, it's a perfect opportunity. So yeah, book covers all of that stuff and it's written in normal people language. So this is designed for business people who just want to be able to ask the right questions. They don't want to know the details of all this technology, but what can they do with them? What problems can they solve with them? And even if you're not in business, if you're just interested in this stuff, this was written for you. So that's the first one. Um, the other one is to start to ask questions about the way the world works and to pay attention to the continued output of investigative journalism um, and the kind of exposés they're doing to help us understand things like palm oil. You know, palm oil is in about 50% of the products that you buy, food and, and household goods. So it's in everything from shampoos to cleaning products to ice cream to crackers. Now, there's a, it's a nuanced argument. It's not like palm oil is bad. It's not. Um, it's actually a very efficient oil. If you're trying to create a vegetable oil, um, that can be used in a wide variety of applications, palm oil is actually um, much more effective than other types of oil in terms of land use. The only issue is where these palm oil trees are being planted. Um, and they're, you know, we're deforesting um, huge areas and the farms where these um, palm oil trees are grown are not particularly well known for their labor records. So there's issues around them. So get informed about these types of issues um, on a broad basis and start to socialize that with your friends. Just help them understand these very nuanced issues because they're not simple black and white. I mean, certainly child labor, bad, right? Forced labor, bad. Um, but let's understand those and what are the measures we can take? What are the things we should be caring about so that when a capability like the Providence Chain Network which we hope will be exposed through a program like Smart Label or something like that. Um, when that information is available, we're informed so that when the, the, the um, sort of onboarding customization screen comes up that says, what do you care about, Brandy? Do you care about this? Yes. Do you care about this? Not so much. You know what you care about, what your values are. So those are the two things. Get smart on technology and get smart on some of these broader nuanced issues. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I love um, the idea of socializing about it with your friends, you know, in an open, honest, comfortable, maybe a little uncomfortable, but conversation to just share those things with each other. And um, it paints a really nice picture of so that you know what's important to you. You know, when someone asks you what's important to you, you can answer it. I, I love that. Um, Last thing, what is the best way for everyone to get in touch with you if they want to talk to you more? Sure. So you can find me as a futurist. You find me at bald futurist, bald as in I have no hair, baldfuturist.com. Uh, you can email me at steve at baldfuturist.com. If you want to find me on my provenance chain side of things, you can go to theprovenancechain.com or you can email me at steve.brown at theprovenancechain.com. Perfect. There is really no reason that anyone should not be able to reach you. <laughs> pretty easy to find. And you can follow me on you know, the Twitters and the Facebooks. Uh, just look for Bald Futurist. Things pop up. I have a YouTube channel. 
where I occasionally post little videos as well. So um, if you aren't feeling, you're feeling too lazy to read the book and you just want the, the cliff notes, uh, check out some of the little videos I've done on, uh, on YouTube called Five Minutes Into the Future. Just give you little five minute hits on how technology will shape our world in the coming decade. Mm. I love those because I, I've listened to at least some of them and they're um, little bite-sized things and it, you walk away feeling inspired. So I definitely recommend people go okay, listen to those. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming on, for sharing the Providence Chain Network with us, for yeah, telling me um, yeah, about the future. Um, it's just, it's been really exciting to sit in a conversation um, about optimism and positivity about what we have ahead of us. So I really yeah. appreciate that. Well, thank you for your interest in it. Cause I, I know supply chain is a bit of a boring topic, but it is so instrumental to our lives. And thanks for recognizing that and for giving me the time to explain to you and to your listeners slash viewers uh, what it's all about and what we hope to do, which is to really change the world. And it's, it's rare you can say that uh, and mean it to the level, extent that I really do. So. Let's go do it. And that's all for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If so, please consider hitting subscribe, rating or reviewing us, telling a friend, any or all of the above truly make a difference. The more people we can reach, the more people I can find to interview and the bigger impact we can make together. Keep an eye on your feed. We'll be back soon with the next episode. Thanks. Bye.